interrogating your assumptions, and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. I'm Tavis Smiley. Our guest in this hour is Santi Elijah Holly, author of the new book, An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. Uh, just getting started, really, in this conversation. Glad to have him for the rest of this hour. So you've told me why um, you wanted to, to delve more deeply into um, this family. Uh, and their impact on uh, racial justice in this country. Let me start with this. Um, you mentioned that you obviously were aware of Tupac uh, when you were younger, but it wasn't until you got older that you really started to wrestle with his corpus, with his with his body of work, with his lyricism. When you jumped into that, what did you discover? What did you see when you got into uh, his writings? Yeah, I, just, I saw just how deep he really was, how deep of a thinker he was. You know, he was talking about police brutality. He was talking about inco- uh, income inequality. He was talking about, you know, just uh, poverty and, you know, in the black community. He was talking about things that a lot of rappers, you know, let alone entertainers, uh, were, in, you know, everything he was doing, acting. People, you know, people with that kind of platform really weren't using it in a way that he was you know, whether his lyrics or his interviews, he was speaking out to the sort of social ills that were facing folks in that day, you know, in the 90s, and mid-90s, early to mid-90s. Uh, and he was doing so in a way that that other folks, you know, there's, there's other rappers who were talking about political issues. I mean, there's Public Enemy, there's Paris, there's, you know, but he was doing it in a way that really meant to speak to folks where they were at. He wasn't trying to preach at anybody, you know what I'm saying? Like, he was really trying to reach young black folks where they were uh you know that's why he you know he put on you know bangers on his albums too just like club hits at the same time he'd have these really deep introspective or political songs because he wanted to sort of connect with everybody so that's what he was doing you know and he really did that's why i think we're talking about him you know so many years after he passed is because he was speaking on a higher level than a lot of folks were at that time Mm -hmm. um tell me how and why in the text you link his artistic genius to the struggle for racial justice and whatever his and whatever his impact is or was on that, as you see it, I think he made a lot of people think, you know, differently about what what, what was going on in that time. I mean, this was a time when, you know, young black men were being incarcerated at you know at just just higher rates. I mean, there's there's different. It was just like what was going on at the time. It was just really a desperate moment in you know in the community, and he was really calling out. Uh, because he had lived through it. I mean, he lived through poverty. He lived through repression because, you know, he grew up in a family that was pursued by, you know, federal and state agents and police officers. So, like, he had a personal experience to that. So he was just, you know, speaking his truth um, and connecting to things. Like, you, you know, he was connecting, and he was talking to things that people really weren't even really thinking about or at least not talking about. Uh, publicly, I mean, like Brenda's got a baby. One of his, you know, earliest uh, singles, you mm-hmm. know, talks about, you know, young, just a, a young mother, just a, you know, a young young girl who who becomes pregnant and doesn't know what to do and doesn't have support from her family, um, and just the desperation that she felt. I mean, nobody was talking about that, you know. So like, and that's that's because that's who he saw around him, and he just said, you know, someone's got to say this, and that's the way he was raised. That's the way his mother raised him was to speak out when he sees something, you know, that's wrong. And so he had this platform as a rapper, as a you know, popular entertainer. So he had that platform. So he said, well, this is what I do. This is how I was raised. So this is what I'm going to do. We are all the sum total of our life's experiences, um, which, is, which is just a, another way of saying um, that whatever our work and witness is in the world, that is oftentimes informed 
by our adolescence, informed uh, by the ways in which we uh, were shaped uh, and formed, if I can put it that way. Um, so f- for me, it's 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 impossible, and you're the author here, but it, it seems impossible to disconnect Tupac's lyricism, um, his struggle for racial justice as he saw it, uh, from his from his from his early beginnings, uh, from again the ways in which he was shaped and formed as as a child with his mother Fanny. Um, link those two things for me. What we ultimately got. Uh, from his, uh, again, his artistic genius to what he was enduring uh, early on in his life. Yeah, I mean, so he was, you know, in his childhood, when he was raised, he was raised in the movement. You know, I'm talking about the the Black Liberation Movement, Black Mm -hmm. Panthers, Black Liberation Army, Republican New Africa. He was raised by all these veterans, people who had survived, you know, all the, everything that that had happened in the 60s and 70s. You know, he came up in that. You know, that's that's who surrounded him. That's who helped, you know, nurture him. Uh, and so he grew up with that, that, that love and support, but also that pressure and, you know, responsibility that he felt. I mean, his mother, Afeni, was a highly respected uh, activist in the Black Panther Party. Um, and she'd raised him, she raised her son, Tupac, to be, to carry on that tradition, to carry on the movement, you know, to pick up where they had fell off. You know, he was raised to sort of, you know, take the mantle and and keep forward. Uh, so he had that pressure, you know, all around him, and he did the best he could. You know, like early on, before he really blew up, he was, you know, he was the chairman of the New African Panthers and a youth organization. And you know, he was he was writing raps that were just talking about the Panthers and history, and you you got to know your history and all this. And he was trying to organize the New Black Panthers and organize his friends to you know, speak out against things that they saw in their community. So he had all that with him his whole life, you know, and, and he, had that, he had that struggle of a little bit of back and forth of like, he wanted to, you know, once he got a little bit of attention, a little bit of fame, it was like, well, you know, how do I, how do I reconcile how I was raised? You know what I'm saying? Like to, uh, to having now having money. Cause he also, you know, he grew up impoverished and homeless at times and crashing on friends' couches and not having anything to eat. And now he's got fame and riches and, you know, cameras on him. Um, so he really struggled early on to sort of stick to who he was and how he was raised, but also, you know, wanting to, wanting to be popular, wanting to be successful. So he always had that sort of, you know, push and pull within him throughout his whole career. In case you just tuned in, we're talking to, uh, Santi Elijah Holly, the author of a new book called An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. He goes beyond, um, uh, the well-known figures Tupac and Asada Shakur, who we'll discuss in just a moment, and reveals the greater narrative of the Shakur family tree, which has roots that reach deep into the history of the underground fight for freedom. So we've talked a bit about Tupac. We'll get back to that. Um, but now I want to pivot to uh, Asada Shakur, uh, and then we'll weave these two things together as we move through this hour. So that's a bit about Tupac, um, but you're also researching uh, the work and witness of the life and legacy, at times controversial, obviously, of Asada Shakur. I had the chance to meet Asada Shakur many years ago in Cuba, uh, where she, uh, of course, uh, had been in exile for, for many, many years. This was some years ago. I was um, uh, in Cuba to interview Fidel Castro. And uh, mm. uh, and uh, while on that trip, I had a chance to sit with her and meet with her in the lobby of my hotel uh, and just a fascinating conversation um, some years ago with with Asada Shakur. Here you are, though, researching um, her backstory for this text about the Shakurs. So talk to me about Asada Shakur. 
Well, I, I mean, I gotta say, I, I envy you for for having that that opportunity to to, to meet Sister Asada in person and speak with her. I didn't. I unfortunately did not. Uh, I think you know, in, in recent years, as the the bounty on her has gone up to two million dollars, mm-hmm. I think she has sort of retreated a little deeper and does not make herself readily available, you know, yeah, which yeah. is under, understandable, uh, especially these days, a lot of crazy folks out there. So I just didn't even, you know, uh, that, that's not something I was able to do, but yeah. I did speak with many, I did speak with many people who had worked directly with her, who knew her, you know, who, who worked with her. Um, uh, yeah. And so I was able to sort of get a, get a picture of, of what she meant, you know, what she meant to folks, what she did, what she accomplished, and also just, you know, who she was beyond the, the mythology that has built up around her. You know, after all these years, there's this, there's this mythology around Asada uh, that I think sometimes doesn't really get at the, the, just the real person who she was, the real human that she was, the, the contradictions, the challenges she faced, the, you know, and some of the, the, some of the acts that she was accused of, you know, I feel like we don't really look at her whole life. We look at her, her book, which was very influential and, you know, still today is an important text, but we have to understand who she was, you know, when she wrote that book and before she wrote that book and the things that she really, uh, you know, things that she, that, that she faced in her life and yeah. how she became Asada Shakur. Let me, let me jump in right quick because, again, you, you know this story well uh, and oftentimes in conversations with authors because they know, this, mm-hmm. they know the subject matter so well, uh, they are reticent to really to, to delve into it. Uh, but the rest of us don't know it the way you know it. So for those, because uh, you're talking in broad strokes here, for those who don't know the backstory uh, of Asada Shakur that you're referencing have may, may have never heard the name Asada Shakur. They certainly know Tupac Shakur, but may not know Asada Shakur, take some time here, take a few minutes and, and unpack who Asada Shakur, what, what that backstory is all about. Yeah, well, first, I, I feel like it's important to say, even just to point out, the name Shakur does not necessarily represent, in this case, with, with the Shakur family, it doesn't necessarily mean blood relative. Mm-hmm. You know, Asada Shakur is not a blood relative to Tupac mm-hmm. or Afeni or Matulu, but they were a family by choice, you know, mm-hmm. by, you know, they, they've decided to take that name on and to join the family in solidarity. So Asada Shakur, you know, wasn't, wasn't born Asada Shakur. Uh, she changed her name like many folks did uh, later on when they joined the struggle. Uh, and she became, she was an early Black Panther. I mean, she was a young college student who joined the, the New York branch, the Harlem branch, the New York uh, Black Panther Party. Got disillusioned pretty early on just from a lot of infighting, a lot of the misogyny that was happening at the time. Uh, and then she joined up with the group, a more underground group at the time that sprung up called the Black Liberation Army, which was mostly defectors from the Black Panther Party, people who wanted to go underground. So she joined up with them uh, and then embarked on uh, tactics and things, actions that... Um, caused her to go underground and sort of disappear from, you know, from the grid. Uh, and eventually, you know, and then she was in, in 73, she was arrested in a shootout with uh, New Jersey or New Jersey state troopers. And that followed by years and years of trials for various things that she was accused of bank robberies, shooting police officers, all of which she was acquitted of or cases were dropped. Charges were dropped. Um, but then she was accused of, of uh, shooting a New Jersey state trooper and murdering him. And so she was put away. She was locked up for, you know, sentenced to life. Um, and she was freed from prison, uh, you know, by a team of, by really, you know, just a team of her comrades. Um, and now she's living in Cuban exile. Um, and so, and then when she was in exile, she wrote her autobiography, which is, you know, a very seminal, important text 
uh, about her story, about her history, about who she was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's I, a little bit of background. No, I, yeah, I asked you to share some of that background again for those who may not know uh, the story of Asada Shakur as well as they know, as well as they know the story of of Tupac Shakur, and it raises this fundamental question: um, How someone with that backstory? Um, could leave, as you have argued in your text, or as, or as you argue in the book, a lasting mark on the struggle for racial justice in this country. Uh, there are those listening right now who may say, okay, so she's accused of killing a cop. Uh, she's been in exile in Cuba for years. Um, you're connecting these Shakurs, Tupac and Asada, in this text and arguing that they have both left a lasting mark on the struggle for racial justice. How does one with that backstory do that? It's really, you know, it's the the words and the sentiments that they expressed sometimes don't um, connect with some of the things that they were accused of. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the things that they, their actions that they were accused of, yeah, they're, they're, oftentimes they're, I would say they're pretty heinous. You know, other folks could justify it. I think sometimes they justify what they were accused of. It's, it's, it's like as far as robbing banks, shooting police officers, these things. Yeah, I'm not personally, I, I will not advocate those things or justify those things, but folks in the struggle and the movement at the time said, this is all part of, you know, we are engaged in war with the U S government. And this, this is just, this is just part of our revolutionary tactics that are happening, you know, all over the world. But now what their, what their influence is today, you know, especially with folks like, uh, Asada and Matulu and them, it's, it's really what they, their words, you know, like what their, their heart was so dedicated to the struggle and to liberation of black folks in America, that that's where they they gave their lives to that you know they gave their they gave everything they sacrificed so much and a lot of things that they did um as i feel like were sort of done with the pure intentions but then it kind of got out of hand you know what i'm saying like they after a while it just it just kind of ran wild and ran and, and just got out of their hands and out of control but their what their legacy is today is just their words their intention their love for the people I mean, that comes across, you know, when you read Asada's book, mm-hmm. you see, you know, she really is sincere in her love for the people. And, you know, whatever her, she did in the past, I, I, don't, I don't, you know, if I could talk to her, I'd want to know, you know, if she regrets any of it, if she, if she, if she, if she had done things differently. But I don't, I don't want to question her intentions. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's really what comes through. Somebody asked me um, some years ago in a conversation, not even how we got into this question, uh, it was a bit, uh, a bit morbid to ask me this, but it was a powerful question, and it made me think uh, on the spot. And I was asked uh, how I would want to be remembered, how I'd want my work and witness to be regarded. And I had to pause for a second because uh, at the time, and even for that matter now, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping not to die anytime soon, but uh, who knows? That's not in my control. Um, but I was asked this question, and I, I, I thought about it for a second, uh, Santi, and my response was the following. If the only thing they say about me when my time is up is that he loved his people, that'd be enough for me. Mm-hmm. That whatever mm-hmm. else you say about Tavis Smiley, what is irrefutable, what is incontrovertible, is that he unapologetically loved his people. Here you come now um, talking about the love that these Shakurs, uh, the two most famous ones, Tupac and Asada, the love they have had for their people. And when we come forward, uh, I want to address that issue, uh, let you address it, the love they've had for their people. For over 50 years now, the Shakurs have inspired generations of activists, scholars, and music fans 
most of us are familiar only with Asada Shakur, the popular author and thinker living for decades now in Cuban exile, or the late iconic rapper Tupac. But the branches of the Shakur family tree extend widely. We'll talk more about those branches when we come forward with Santi Elijah Holly in his new book, An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created, on Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where everybody is somebody and nobody is a stranger. You belong here. You're listening to Tavis Smiley, and I'm glad about it. Uh, our guest in this hour is the author, Santi Elijah Holly. His new book is called An American Family, spelled A-M-E-R-I-K-A-N, An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. They have been celebrated, glorified, and mythologized. They've been hailed as heroes, liberators, and freedom fighters. They've been condemned, pursued, imprisoned, exiled, and killed. But the true story, uh, the complete story of the Shakur family, one of the most famous names in contemporary black American history, has never been told until now. And we thank uh, 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 Santi Elijah Holly for the research and the work that goes into uh, writing, a, uh, I think, what will be a classic text like this one, An American Family, the Shakurs and the Nation They Created. Uh, before I uh, jump right back into our conversation, uh, as I promised moments ago about the love uh, that these Shakurs uh, have and have had for their people. Uh, just this past Monday, in fact, uh, Santi, as you know, Las Vegas police searched a home in um, uh, in Sin City, uh, an investigation of mm-hmm. Tupac Shakur's murder nearly three decades after his death. This story just does not end. It does not close. What do you make of the news that broke earlier this week? Uh, that again, three decades later, they were searching a home in Las Vegas in connection to the murder of Tupac Shakur. Yeah, I gotta say, Tavis, my first when I first heard the news, I didn't. I, I thought it was a joke. I thought mm-hmm. it was. I thought it was just some. I, I thought it was something that somebody made up. And you know, when it started to come out that it was actually was happening, uh, I mean, there's still not that much information about it. So I'm still kind of waiting, but I'm skeptically waiting to see what happens. I just don't. I don't see how. You know, after all this time, they now they have something that they can work with, you know, because they've had this information for, like you said, for three decades. I mean, they've had this information, you know, they, they've had they, they know they have suspects or they've had leads, but they've never really moved on to any of that. So I'm just I'm suspicious why now, you know, we'll we'll see what, what they come up with. But I mean, people who know, you know, who follow the story, who follow Tupac and his murder. I mean, we all have our, you know, we all pretty much know who was there, who was present. We also know, I mean, as Las Vegas on the, you know, on the strip, there is hundreds of people around. You know, there's, you know they, they talk about how folks are not uh, cooperating with the police. I mean, I get that, but mm-hmm. there's hundreds of folks around. There's cameras. I mean, there's ways to do an investigation. I mean, I'm not a detective, but you know, I'm saying like, I, I feel like it's, it's not that difficult, you know, to, to follow up on. You have people talking about I was in the car with the shooter. I mean, okay. Well, you know, so we'll see what happens with this with this new search warrant and who they got and who they're you know if anything comes of it or if they're just taking advantage of yeah. uh, this moment where Tupac is you know back in the news again. I don't want to get too far afield from your text, uh, but let me just ask: um, given all that you've you just said now, um, why do you think this murder all these years later has not been solved? You know, I mean, I, I can only I can only speculate on this. You know, really, I, uh, and I, my hunch, which is just you know, it's just my idea, um, is that I mean, Tupac was a well-known critic of the police department. I mean, from coast to coast. 
you know, he he had an ongoing throughout his career, throughout his life. Th- I mean, throughout his family's life, you know, his whole history of his family uh, was had a, had a feud with the police. You know, they they openly spoke out against them. In his lyrics, he openly spoke out against the police and police harassment and police brutality. You know, he was always clashing with police departments, you know, all over different cities all over. And I feel like, you know, when he died, I just don't think that it was the top priority. You know, I don't think it was the top priority to to solve his murder. I think they probably just looked at some gang stuff, you know, and they're probably just like, how much time, how many many resources do we need to put into this? Uh, I think they just kind of just did the bare minimum. Yeah, you know, and, and that's just my that's just my opinion. Yep. Well, as you well know, um, law enforcement has said repeatedly that they believe this murder has not been solved because there are too many people that uh, will not cooperate. Um, you you took that. Yeah, off. I've, yeah. I've heard I've, yeah. I've heard that, but I don't I don't believe it. Yep. I mean, yeah. I gotta say, no, I don't believe it. Fair enough. <laughs> um, fair enough. Uh, as I said, I don't want to get too far afield from your text. An American family, the Shakurs, and the nation they created. Uh, but it's hard to talk about Tupac with not covering some of that ground, particularly given. Uh, that there was a search of a home uh, literally days ago, earlier this week, uh, in the murder of Tupac Shakur um, some three decades later. Now, to the point that I was uh, pressing my way toward moments ago, which is really the point that you made about the love uh, that uh, these Shakurs, um, heroes, liberators, freedom fighters, uh, imprisoned, exiled, and killed, though they may be, uh, they have had a profound love for their people. I said uh, minutes ago that if uh, the only thing said about me when my time comes, is that uh, that I love my people. That'd be enough. I I I I could be okay with that. But but talk to me as you put it about the love that they have had for their people. Yeah, what they did. I mean, they showed their love not just by by words, but by deeds, by actions. And you know, they they, they I mean, I, I, for a couple of examples. I mean, Matulu Shakur, the late you know, who just passed away uh, July seventh, just recently. Um, he. You know, as a young man, he he learned acupuncture because he wanted to provide holistic treatment to his people, to his community, who were suffering from, you know, drug addiction, from heroin addiction in, in the Bronx. And he found a different way to, that he could provide health care to people for free often. You know, sometimes he wouldn't charge nothing. Sometimes he'd just charge a few dollars here and there, just whatever people could give. You know, that is like, that is showing his love for the community, saying, how can we help people who are, you know, who are literally dying on the streets you know, how can, how can I, what can I do? How can I use myself, you know, in service to these folks, to my people? So that is him showing his love, you know, through his whole life. And then when mm-hmm. finally, when he was incarcerated, when he was, you know, when he was caught after serious crimes, you know, and then he was incarcerated and even behind the wall, you know, he was a mentor to other, you know, other inmates, you know, he just tried to put them on the right path, you know, just, just provided teaching and just knowledge to them. And so that's just, he just did what he could, even when he was locked up. You know, he's continued to, to be a mentor to young folks, mm-hmm. you know, who looked up to him, you know, and knew his history. And then so there's, you know, and there's uh, a, a Fanny Shakur, Tupac's mother, who, you know, showed her love to the community by by volunteering her time to organize rent strikes for exploitative landlords. You know, when they're taking advantage of their tenants, she would go around and organize to, and to teach them how to, you know, open up an escrow account, you know, withhold their rent. Uh, she provided legal aid to people who, uh, you know, couldn't afford uh, lawyers. Uh, so she just, you know, that's what this family did. That's what everybody in this family did. It was just they used themselves as, as a as a way to to help folks who were in need, who couldn't afford it, who didn't even know how to, you know, go about getting getting basic services for themselves. Like this, these folks, you know, often taught themselves, you know, thing like Afeni taught herself the law, Matu taught himself acupuncture. 
you know, uh, Asada learned, she became a nurse and she learned how to, you know, help people who were, you know, who needed, who needed, uh, uh, you know, care right then and there, who were just sort of like, you couldn't, you know, walk into a hospital and get health care. But they, you know, so these folks just, they just saw what their immediate need in the community and they addressed it, you know, and that's, yeah. that's how they show their love. And that's how, you know, and they did that from the beginning and they still do that today. The book is called An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. Uh, it is a New York Times editor's pick. Uh, that's uh, high cotton, as we say around here. Uh, it's a New York Times uh, editor's pick. The L.A. Times says it is magnificent, a uniquely intimate history of black liberation. Uh, when we come forward uh, with the author of that book, Santi Elijah Holly, I want to talk about uh, black liberation and the impact that these Shakurs have had on that specifically. He also argues in the book, um, which is the purpose of the book, I think, that the Shakurs, uh, uh, the story of the Shakurs is the story of America. Uh, I can see that on the one hand. I could challenge that on the other hand. Um, I'll see which one I do, uh, <laughs> which one I engage when we come forward. Um, but I take his point. I think that the story of the Shakurs is the story of America. But when the New York Times, the L.A. Times, everybody else says this is a book you might want to consider reading, perhaps you should. Once again, it's called An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. I also want to ask um, Asante when we come forward. Um how the iconography of the Shakur family, how the iconography of this family uh, has gotten in the way of our seeing them for who they truly are. A great deal more to talk about when we come forward. Santi, Elijah Holly on Tavis Smiley. Broadcasting live from Lower Park, USA. Welcome back to your home for unapologetically progressive radio. KBLA Talk 1580. Uh, Santi, Elijah Holly, what would you say about the impact of the Shakurs on the history of black liberation in this country? You know, I think what they, what they showed, what they proved is that, you know, organization, uh, just unity, just, just collective work that can be, that can accomplish so much. I mean, just community work, you know, you got to focus on your community first and foremost, organize people around you. I think that we see that today with people who are doing community-based actions, who are doing things that, you know, might not necessarily get the fanfare of larger national organizations, but who are just doing the work that needs to be done, you know, the urgent work that needs to be done, you know, to to challenge the status quo, to challenge white supremacy. I mean, there's things that you can do just, you know, in your own community. I think that's what the Shakurs are doing. They just, they saw their urgent needs, their immediate needs, and they, did what needed to be done. I think today, you know, younger organizers, younger people, not not just activists, but, you know, artists, musicians who are using their voice and using their platform to address these urgent needs. You know, that's what they've always done. The Shakur's, you know, mm-hmm. just saying, this is, this is what I can do. This is within, you know, what I, what I can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm going to just, just address that, you know, without worrying about yeah. dismantling the whole system let's just focus on what can we do like people what can people you know do and organize today and here and now to help you know what we're going through are there ways in which and i think you take uh, you take my, my my point here my uh, the point of my question at least uh, are there ways in which um their iconography um has gotten in the way of seeing whatever it is that you want us to see yeah yeah absolutely I mean, that's, I, I think a lot of times, I and mean, especially with folks like Tupac and Asada, you know, we, they become lionized 
idealized to a point where we sort of lose sight of their humanity and their struggles mm-hmm. and, and their mistakes and their flaws and shortcomings. And really, that's where we can learn the most. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's mm-hmm. where we learn the most from these folks is to look at their mistakes, look at their flaws and what they went through and, and how they how they learned from it and how they picked themselves up from, you know, these mistakes. And, you know, they they weren't perfect. You know, I, in the book, I talk about it a lot. You know, I, I, I talk about a lot of things that these folks uh, did or were accused of uh, and say, look, you've got to know like what they were going and a lot of these times like it's, it's a reaction to what they were themselves faced mm-hmm. you know the, the things that they were going but it doesn't you know you, you got to look at them as humans as people and they were yeah. also really young too at the time they're they're just young folks who were just trying the best they could and a lot of times it you know they made mistakes but we gotta we gotta learn from their mistakes if we're gonna you know continue forward i want to weave these two things together when we come forward in our remaining moments with uh santi elijah holly author of the book an american family the shakus and the nation they created uh you heard him say a moment ago they made mistakes. They were flawed. They had shortcomings. And yet um, they've had a huge impact on the struggle for racial justice, a huge impact on black liberation. Um, And he argues again that uh, their story is the story of America. Fascinating that one could endure all of that and yet have uh, an impact on um, the state of black America. We'll ask him how that is possible when we come forward in our remaining moments with uh, Santi, Elijah Holly, you're listening to Tavis Smiley. Let's unpack a little bit more with Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues right now. Right now. Right now. Right now. Our guest in this hour is and has been uh, Santi Elijah Holly with his new book, An American Family, The Shakurs and the Nation They Created. As I mentioned earlier, in case you've just tuned in, it is a New York Times editor's pick. And the Los Angeles Times says it's magnificent, a unique, intimate history of black liberation. Uh, and I want to close with this, uh, Santi. Uh, you talked earlier about the mistakes, the flaws, the shortcomings. Um, these Shakurs, uh, Asada and Tupac, most famous among them, uh, have endured and overcome so much on their way to having an undeniable impact uh, on the story of black liberation in this uh, country. And I guess the question is, how is that possible? How do you deal with all that madness, all that drama, and still be regarded as having had an impact on black liberation as we know it? I think maybe because we... Uh... I mean, they because they were so present. I mean, they what they did was they they gave themselves wholly, completely. You know what I'm saying? Like they, when they did something, I mean, from Asada, Tupac, Fame, Tulu, this whole family. When they did something, that you know, there's no half stepping. They did. They yeah. gave it their whole, their whole all, their whole body and soul. And I think that that transcends. That's why you know, years later, after many of these folks have passed away, or you know. Uh, have not really been in the forefront so much. Like we still have their words mm-hmm. and their work because they were so sincere and they give of themselves so much and so, you know, mind, body, and soul. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So like that's that's why we still that's their impact because they were so dedicated and committed. And to what extent, uh, as you argue in the book, throughout the book, the purpose of the book, I suspect, is to to get us to wrestle with the fact that the story of the Shakurs is the story of America. In uh, 60 seconds, how so? I mean, look, American American history is all of our American American history is full of our heroes who have risen up against, you know, what was what was putting them down, repressing them. It's you know, it's it's people who see the situation and see the repression and see the struggles, and they decide to make changes. You know, like they they decide to to organize and react against it, to respond against it, to try to better 
better everybody, better their community, better their people, better the country. And so what's what the Shakurs did? You know, they 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 followed in this American heroic tradition of 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 reacting, uh, rebelling, rising up against the uh, the repressive systems around them. And that's mm-hmm. that's why I feel like that's the that's that's why they are American. You know, with a K or with a C. Uh, that's what they did. You know, yeah. they they just try to make the, the world better for them and their people. And that's what that's what America claims to want to do. You might want to get this book now before Republicans start trying to ban it. <laughs> it's, called, <laughs> it's called it's called an American family with a K, an American family, the Shakurs and the nation they created. The author of that book has been our guest in this hour, and I've delighted immensely in this conversation with. Santi, Elijah Holly, once again, an American family, the Shakurs and the nation they created. Uh, uh, Santi, congrats on a powerful text, man. Good to have you on. Thanks for your time. I appreciate you, Tavis. Thanks.